BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm Vic. And I'm Obs. And we have so much to say. About what though? Life, meaning, purpose, trying to figure out all of the super complicated stuff about what it means to be alive. That's deep. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like it will be easier because we're doing it together. True. Each week, we're reading one chapter of Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, and then recapping what we learned right here on this podcast. So it's kind of like a book club. Kind of. This is going to be so much fun. We love this book and hope you do too. Get ready to awaken to your life's purpose with us. Let's get started because we have so So much much to to say. say. All right, we are back. Welcome to So Much to Say, episode four, chapter four, role-playing the many faces of the this week's episode's fun because we're actually in person. Yeah, I know. Obs is in town, so we thought we would record this together. So hopefully the chemistry is just electric. Just off the hook. This was a long chapter. So freaking long. I barely got through the whole thing. We were joking this morning. We were like, why did two girls who don't like to read <laughs> start a book club? <laughs> Literally. Like, we just finished reading 10 minutes ago. <laughs> no, but it was actually... <laughs> It was so funny because I said to Aubrey, I was like, I do like a dog year, like at the start of the chapter and then a dog year, like when it ends so that I like constantly know how many pages and I literally I showed her mine and I did the exact same thing, <laughs> which is so funny. But I love like learning about this stuff. It's just the muscle memory of becoming a reader. Literally two pages in, I'm like, oh, I'm having fun. Yeah. And there was a lot to digest here. There was so much to say. We have so much to say. (laughs) No, I actually have so much to say. And I've been biting my tongue to tell you about like the things that have come up. Okay. You start. Okay. I mean, if we're going kind of in order, the first part of this chapter is basically just about like the roles that we play. And so I wanted to ask you, what role do you think you play? Oh, gosh. I think I play roles like more authentically or they feel more authentic. Like I play sister. I know that's a role I play and I play older sister and that's, that's easy for me. You know, that's just something I've always done and it feels natural, but I snap into that around my brothers of like bossy older sister, which is not, who I am inherently like I don't think any of our friends would call me bossy by any means well speaking of family I think at some point in this chapter he mentioned how you have to be like oh it said something like if you want to test your ego go spend a week with your parents yes which is so true (laughs) I also play bitchy younger daughter (laughs) no very inherently truly truly I feel like the familial roles are really prevalent for a lot of people When I read that, though, and I was like, what role do I play? If we think about society, I almost feel like whether I play this role or I'm self-conscious, people put me in the role of like, mm, like privileged, 
girl who's young and probably doesn't know a lot and has never worked hard in her life. Interesting. Like when I go to the gas station and people see me, I always think that that's the role that I'm not that I'm acting in it, but it's almost like I feel like people put me in, are putting me in the role. No, I mean, that's, that's so fair. Yeah. Which obviously I'm very, very, very privileged. I'm just saying like this role of, but that's what people perceive you as. And maybe because in movies there's always like, the blonde girl who's dumb and totally doesn't have a work ethic yeah yeah so totally that is something I maybe kind of thought of do you know something I also thought along with the the parents thing they were saying how relationships that you have long term like that's where your ego is most apparent and I was thinking about us and I was like it's so cool that we've been friends for so long we have such a history and like I don't feel like our egos come up we really were like aware as fuck when we were like 15. Dude, I fucking know. We really? Oh my God. Speaking of that, this is something I've been wanting to say to you. <laughs> um, is that line where he said like two people who are unconscious having a conversation is actually like four yes. unconscious bodies at play. It's like yeah. what you view yourself to be, what you view them to be. And then they're doing the same. Totally. I thought that was so funny. Just imagining people speaking and like no one's actually conversing because it's like unconscious mind, unconscious mind. <laughs> I feel like you're one of the few people that I can sit and actually like have no ego with. And that's, I think a lot of this chapter, at least in the beginning was making me think about just like my career on social media. Even from the very first page I had highlighted the ego thrives on others attention. And I wrote like dash social media question mark. And then I highlighted like the source of all energy is actually within you. And actually it was wild because I think last episode you were saying how you view yourself maybe as like less than and on page 86 I like highlighted this whole paragraph and started where it's like any conceptual sense of self seeing myself as this or that as ego whether it's good or bad and he talks about how like shy people or people who feel inadequate their ego has like a strong hidden desire for superiority but fears the rejection totally no I highlighted all of that I wrote that it's helpful to recognize that it's both ways I resonated a lot with it he gets into the ego at work and I think my ego at work is so at play. I think it's the situation that I feel least secure about in my life, like the most insecure just because I'm young and it's a male dominated industry and I never know my role you know what I mean like well do you almost relate to what I said then before like you're assuming they're viewing you in this role of like yeah young blonde dumb girl who can't hang with us totally and like I literally just caught myself I don't know my role it's like I don't have a role you're there to do the work and I just think if I could just evaporate my ego of like oh I don't know enough I'm not smart enough people aren't gonna think I'm good enough like what am I doing here I would do such a better job at my work you know what is a helpful way to think about this exact thing and this aligns with my therapy session I had this week is all those things you just listed are judgments. Yes. I don't know enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. Like you're, you're judging yourself. Yeah. And we do that all the time. And the judgment is the voice of the ego. And I have been just trying to be more aware of when I think a judgment, like, ugh, people think this of me or I'm not this, or I'm not that. And being like, that's a judgment and kind of breathing it past I also to take it one step further have recently been like okay that's a judgment what are the facts I don't know the answer to this yeah that that's it 
Like that's all it is. So ask like me not asking or me being like, people will think I'm dumb if I ask. It's like, that's, that's literally just the ego. And it stops me from doing a good job because I would do a better job if I just had the answer. And I feel like Eckhart would love that because. I know, Eki would love that. <laughs> because wasn't that like, a t- I forget if it was a chapter or two chapters ago where he was saying, you can have discourse if you're stating facts, but it's when you get invested in like being right yeah, versus being storytelling. Wrong. Like you can state something that we know to be true. Totally. I also highlighted on 87 emotional pain from the past that wants to renew itself through experiencing more pain yes. is the pain body. That's the next chapter. I'm so excited for the I pain am body too. chapter. Oh my God. Because I feel like when he was talking about being like fed up or you've had enough, I think I'm someone who... When I determine a relationship with someone and the things that have occurred and I think that like I'm in the right and they've wronged me. Yeah. I don't want to say like I hold grudges, but there are certain people I do hold grudges with. And it's really hard for me, similar to when we were talking about like the wedding yeah. invite thing last. Yeah. But I'm thinking of now like more intense relationships I've had in life where like I've re- I've experienced a lot of pain in the way that my ego describe would be like at the hands of someone else. Yes. But I think as I learn more about this, I realized one of my favorite parts of this chapter was, and this is where the Jesus quote comes into play. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Wait, what? I, I, I freaking knew you were going to quote Jesus <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> you love the Jesus parts. <laughs> I guess we were, we raised, were we in a Catholic school? We were raised Catholic, so yeah. So there's a lot of that. Like, I just think, I honestly think it might be because I'm dead. It might be because uh, I've kind of written off religion a little bit yeah. with like the things in the Bible. So the fact that he's able to draw these like really true messages through the biblical right. language is almost like something for my inner child in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's it's answering your eighth grade before school <laughs> questions with Mr. Murphy. Yeah. No, truly. <laughs> I wrote down Mr. Murphy in one of the Jesus parts. Oh, I love that. Mr. Murphy was our religion teacher, everybody. Also, what comes to my mind is that scene in Four Christmases where Vince Vaughn is like, they know <laughs> not <Yes>. what they <laughs> do. <laughs> and that was his ego. And Reese He was on an ego trip. I <laughs> know yeah, he truly was. But that was so funny. But anyways... <laughs> To the actual point I was making, when someone is unconscious and they hurt you or they're acting out for attention or to cause you pain, whatever, like it is about having this peace about you and it's really hard, but they are not aware and I don't have to take this personally because they're not even conscious in their own life. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard. Like, I'm just thinking about my life. Like, it's so hard to forgive someone for their unconscious behavior. Yes, like, I can read it and be like, that would make me happier. But, like, putting it into action is so hard. And I think you have to, like, constantly rewire your brain to be like, they know not what they did. Right, (laughs) they know not what they did. Wait, I have something to say. Hold that thought. Do you have so much to say? Oh my God, yes. I have so much to say. That's why we named it this, the show. Oh, on 112, very top of the page. Yes. 
In the midst of negativity, you are able to realize at this moment, I'm creating suffering for myself. It will be enough to raise you above the limitations of conditioned egoic states and reactions. It will open up infinite possibilities which come to you when there is awareness. Other vastly more intelligent ways of dealing with any situation. And I've been meaning to tell you that I think it was like one of the earlier episodes. I said I had this encounter with someone who just it really pissed me off the way that I felt dismissed. Yes. And this me person off. texted me this morning and was like, hey, Vic, you were on for a call today. And my first thought was, no, I'm not around for a call today. Like, you can't just text <laughs> me and assume I have, like, free time to, like, call you. So egoic. Yes. And then in reading this, I'm like, that is me creating negativity. I'm building this narrative. It's this person versus me. And they wrong me, so I'm going to wrong them. And I don't just take it. Like... I literally am creating negativity as opposed to not lowering myself to their unconsciousness and just treating it like normal. Like if I am free today, like, yeah, I'm free today. I can do this time. Like, and not attaching this narrative. So where do you draw the line of like that person did wrong me? You know, like how do you, yes, Lainey, shout out Lainey. You teach people how to treat you. Yeah. And like, is that egoic? Well, I don't know the answer. And that's Perfect. something that Welcome I'm... Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's something that I'm curious about is like, I would love him... To, he gives a lot of good examples. I would love an example of like something legitimate or just something really serious. Let's say a person sabotaged your job application for something that would change your whole life or like I was just watching a TikTok of someone who was like my mom didn't come to my wedding because I was gay how do they properly wear the pain and the feeling of like this person did not show up for me or they wronged me I feel like this is where boundary setting comes into place healthy boundary setting is not egoic I feel like you can look at the facts and evaporate the judgments that come around it. Yes. Like when I'm around this person, they cause discomfort or they say hurtful things or they're very not present and it's not a pleasant experience. So I'm going to like limit the time I spend with this person, but I'm not going to be like, and yeah, fuck them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's like, I think, did we just answer answer a question? (laughs) (laughs) Four episodes in, we answered something. (laughs) God, totally. But like, I I think boundary setting, I wonder if he talks about it later, but I think that's healthy. And as long as you can do it in a way that you're just trying to limit suffering. Yeah. You know, isn't that the whole point of this book? Definitely. Wait, something else I wanted to say back on page 87. Mm -hmm. He says at the bottom, seeing oneself as a victim is an element in many egoic patterns, such as complaining, being offended, outraged, and so on. And I feel like I recognize that so much now, like in other people. Yeah. People who just love to dwell without solution. Being around that now that I can recognize it so clearly. Yeah. I, at one point in college, was like so deeply unhappy that I remember being in therapy and like, it was like I wanted to cling to my anxiety as a role that I was in. That was the answer. And that's why I was so unhappy instead of fixing it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. When you're depressed or anxious or sad and then that becomes your whole personality. Yeah. When I was in the thick of my depression, I was very much of the, 
I'm depressed. So all of you people, it doesn't matter what you're doing because I am depressed. Right. Like, like you're the center of the universe. And it, and it feels like that when you have mental illness. And, yes. So like that's totally fair. I wanted to ask you, go to page 102. Okay. And I don't know if you caught this or what you were thinking about it, but a lot of this middle bulk of the page, suffering has a noble purpose, the evolution of consciousness and the burning of the ego. I highlighted that. <laughs> oh, me too. I wrote next to this loss and suffering. And in the first episode, you had mentioned when your dad passed away. Yeah. I'm curious when you read his thoughts on how suffering is beneficial and even when it said one of the many deluded thoughts is I should not have to suffer or my child should not have to suffer just something I thought of so I'm curious what it makes you feel you know what's interesting is I don't know if I've it's been 10 years my dad passed away in 2008 but I don't think once I ever took on the why is this happening to me this is so unfair I think there's something when something's so devastating happening to you, you get more gentle. Like I got more understanding of the world. I look back on all of it and I'm of the belief that everything happens for a reason. And not that I think I'm not religious, but I look back on my life and I'm like, everything makes sense. Like everything that's happened to me makes sense up until this point. And I'm the person I am today because of that. You know, I think there is good that comes out of suffering honestly makes me think of that part where he said life is happening through you yeah when we are very present for our lives and almost like in the last chapter when he said how do you know this is the most important moment yes. in your life because this is the moment that you're having yes and when you truly have that oneness with the universe and that trust yeah. for the present moment yeah you are going to have good come from every moment and I think like now I'm not scared of anything that's gonna happen obviously I have natural anxieties but I, I don't even know if you know this I always tell myself like it's going to be okay it always is because like truly looking back on any experience I've had I'm like oh that was for a reason like oh I learned so much from that any little things that come up I'm always like it'll be okay it always is I love that so I think having something happen to me so early gave me a very unique perspective. But I remember one time asking you, since you've experienced a loss like that, does it make you feel less afraid of loss like that in your future or more terrified of another loss like that? Yeah. And you had told me I'm more terrified. I think it makes me more terrified in the sense that I know what happens afterwards. I had a friend recently lose her father and... I felt, of course, for her in that moment, but I felt more for her because of everything that I knew she was going to go through for the next few years. So I think knowing exactly how situations like that play out is terrifying because it's horrible. Like, it's just awful. But like at the end of the day, you know, 10 years later, you can look back and be like, I know why that happened. Mm -hmm. it's a long process but at the end of it I want to commend you though because there are not a lot of people who go through grief and then come out with this sort of mindset yeah on 112 he lists all these different thought patterns 
something in the past happened that should not have happened and I resent it. And if it hadn't happened, I'd be at peace now. You know, yeah. that's I what- mean, don't get me wrong. It's funny because for littler things in my life, I have that. But like <laughs> for some reason, the big ones, like you're forced to process it and like really churn over it. So like you can come to terms with it almost. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier. I think it's almost the type of thing when you see something happen that's so bad, you can see the equivalent of all of the equally good things that came out of it. I look at my relationships with my brothers and my mom and our friendship and it's easier for me to pull the gigantic big good that came out of it because it was such a big bad. Mm-hmm. I know I explained that like I was four. No, but no. You know what I mean? It was big bad. <laughs> big bad. Make big, big good. <laughs> no, you didn't. I fully am sitting here nodding along. Like, okay. I follow, which I don't know if that, if me saying I follow means it was more advanced. <laughs> big bad, make big good too. <laughs> but like the little things it's like little things in everyday life like why'd that person nick my car door and now i have to go get it fixed like what good did that cause like but then you could go to the car place and like have have a a really great interaction with someone who is suffering and then they're gonna be like that girl is so nice that turns their whole day around totally and then they call someone yeah it's like how i love this saying that my mentor nicole davis used to tell me all the time at usc you have the possibility of changing the trajectory of someone's life today yeah it's just so, so wild because cool. I can think about the little times I've had a conversation or someone said or texted something to me and then like it literally does change the trajectory of my life totally. it's a little ripple in a big sea but it's there yeah no absolutely what are your thoughts about the life purpose type of what through line 108 I was laughing out loud when he was like they say try to be yourself, but don't try to be yourself. That's another role. It's called natural and spontaneous me. <laughs> just so fun and flirty. I'm and just a quirky just girl. Me, just I want to stick my tongue out and make a little peace sign. You know? <laughs> no, but that was so funny. People think just your be yourself is good advice, totally. but it can also be misleading because the mind will come in and say, "Let's see, hmm, how can I be myself?" <laughs> then the mind will develop some kind of strategy: how to be myself, another role. How can I be myself? And that's in fact the wrong question. It implies you have to do something to be yourself. How doesn't apply here because you are yourself already. The line I highlighted was just stop adding unnecessary baggage to who you already are. Yeah. It's like. Just stop trying to cling to other things. Just be you, you know, like take a deep fucking breath. You're great. Just you don't need to add a bunch of shit on top of it. You know, what's wild, though, is the way that our society pushes. Like even when I was reading this and thinking, so you're telling me the next time I'm on an interview and someone says, so tell us about, you know, yourself or who you are, what you do. I just am. No, (laughs) literally. I'm like, I am life. Influencer goes off the deep end, starts cold, and says she is the way in the light. Now friends with Jim Carrey and his painting. (laughs) No, seriously, but but I subscribe to this mindset. Like it's so true. Like I just am, and the way. And then I love how he says your past and the story is just a mix of memories and thoughts that you've pulled to say who you are. Totally, (laughs) totally. I have no. I just am. Hi guys. I just am. (laughs) That's all. Bye. (laughs) So much to say is over. It's just like, what do you do in a job interview? How do you not let your ego puff up? Like, so tell me, what have you been doing for the past five years? 
just well, living. I think that Eki would say that, which by the way, we are spoiling any chances of ever interviewing him. If his team listens to this and hears that we call him Eki. The fact that he went on <laughs> Oprah's podcast and then we're like, hey, we'll do one better. <laughs> Come on our home produced <laughs> podcast called So Much to Say when you're telling us to not speak and just be present. <laughs> but I think that the answer that he would say would be, in a job interview, you could list the facts. I worked I here. This is my experience, blah, 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 blah. But you know that you are not those things. And honestly, I am really starting to understand this whole idea of like oneness. Me too. You know, he Me says too. on 109, you cannot be more than you are because underneath your physical and psychological form, you are one with life itself, one with being in form. I loved this. You are and will always be inferior to some, superior to others. In essence, you are neither inferior nor superior to anyone. True self-esteem and true humility arise out of that realization. It's so funny. I mean, the first few years on social media, I was so big on like, don't compare. I never compare. I literally yeah. never compared. And now I don't know if it's like, being more prevalent in the space there's so much comparison but just to read you will always be inferior to some and superior to others so you are neither inferior or superior to anyone that almost was healing to me to just be like that's a never-ending cycle as well yeah it's harder though in your little workspace just in my little office you know I'm ranking people I'm putting myself in a rank like I'm seeing where oh well I at least I'm better at him than him like than him at this and Oh, well, you know, maybe if I feel inferior, I should work more with them so that I can, you know, become more like them. It's just like constant. And it's like, I'm not even getting work done because I'm just like trying to figure out my fake ranking that I made up. Right. I relate in a a different way. um, In the villain, victim and lover chapter, what were your thoughts as a married woman? It says, what is commonly called falling in love is in most cases an intensification of the egoic wanting and needing. You become addicted to another person and rather to your image of that person. It has nothing to do with true love, which contains no wanting whatsoever. Yeah. So fascinating. I underlined in this part, I'll play who you want me to be and you'll play who I want you to be. Yes. To be honest, I feel like Max and I have such a healthy relationship and we have such a sense of independence but then a healthy codependence so I don't read this and feel like it pertains to us like I almost read it and thought that it was more of like I imagined like a toxic couple where someone's like I love them like I imagined more that when he was talking about it but tell me what's wrong with me and Max no 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 (laughs) I was literally thinking about you and Max I wrote down loving without ego is loving the person for who they are not what you think they can do for you or who you want them to be that's like when Jeff said on the Jeff podcast love Nadia not for who yes. I want her to be but for who she is yes and he wakes up every morning and tells himself that. <laughs> if you haven't listened to that go listen to it but I was thinking about you know dating I was single for six years and like it's literally you're just role-playing you're both just putting on whoever you think the other person wants to see but I I told Wood this and I was like I felt like every time after I'd been seeing someone for a few months They'd be like, I like you. And I'd be like, you don't even know me because I'd been faking it. I'm like, of course you like me. I made up this personality just for you. <laughs> I, you don't know me at all. And then I called you after I went to that wedding weekend with Wood. And I was like, 
That is the most myself I've ever felt in my life. Oh, I know. I have chills just thinking about that again. But like literally. And then like you said, and I have it written in my notes (laughs) for my maid of honor speech. (laughs) BRB, I'm pulling it up. I always mold myself to other people. But with him, I just feel totally myself. Oh, it's true. I mean, like September 9th, 2022. (laughs) (laughs) I just I and I see it with my friends dating and it's just dating was an ego trip for me. It was like, can I get this other person to like me? Like, that's all it was. It wasn't like I was looking for anything more than that. I don't Mm. think I obviously like didn't have that experience because I was in a relationship, but I can see how that seems so true and not even something that you should be upset with yourself about or any other people are like, what's the opposite? You go to the first date and you're like, you're totally just really yourself. fucking real and vulnerable and yeah. they're going to be like this person's weird and like thinks yeah. they're one with life yeah <laughs> all right yeah i asked you know this person who they were and they just <laughs> said, I, am. I learned nothing about them <laughs> literally but that's why i think there is something special about when you do meet the person like when i met max or when you went, went wood it's just this like that's why they say how do you know you just know yeah because back to when he Eckhart said do you really think you could describe these things in words and oh wait that's a cute kind of um full circle moment of when people say like how do you know you just know you just know they can't even put it into words because like Eckhart describes do you really think you can describe yourself and your purpose on life and like love in the consonants and the vowels yeah no no you just you just know I just know I think I knew on our first date post us dating in college and whatever we sat down and I don't know we were talking and then like 20 minutes in we were just hysterically crying about like our pasts and like it was just so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I was like this is nothing like the first dates I go on (laughs) yeah it's just like immediate vulnerability with no ego But you know what I think Eckhart would say if he was listening to this? Yeah. That there are people who agree with us and they know that. And then their egos will have them like being super vulnerable or like sharing more than they're comfortable with or like acting in a certain way to create this moment to be like, yes, this is the person and this is the moment. So true. Right? So true. I saw this TikTok that was like, when you think about your life, do you see it through your eyes or through looking at yourself? Yeah. And whenever I'm crying and I can see it through myself watching me and like is that performative like to myself okay I have a question you've seen all those videos like making fun of influencers who record themselves crying yeah what is your take on that because obviously you have a few videos like that and like yeah where where does that um I don't know if that has anything to do with this but no like I think it's interesting made me think of the third person crying so I for the longest time I have not taken any videos of myself crying and posted them online except one video that I posted and it's on the real pod page and it's on my page and it was just about like loving someone who's struggling is just so incredibly hard yeah I think for me that was like the hundredth time I'd cried over that situation <laughs> and that exact day I had found that song I used the cover for the music Kaplan yes. Kaplan I don't know how yes, to say yes. but like ceilings plaster I was just crying so hard to that song by like hour four I was like Yeah, let me... And I put the text over myself because it still felt uncomfortable. Yeah. But I got hundreds and thousands of people who, oh my God, like, yes, like, I feel this way and it's such a dark place to be and it's so lonely. So I was glad that I did it. But I do see people who, like, crying selfies are, like, just 
and not the funny crying ones like crying because like I spilled my food but like yeah literally like had the toughest day and sometimes I do it on my stories but I just never want people to think I'm seeking attention and I want them to then message me and DM me like we hope you're okay we hope you're okay right and so I think when I freak whenever I do post that I'm really down in the dumps I literally will be like this is not for attention like actually I posted a video of myself crying the morning of Coachella because it to me I had two options I I had the option of don't post that I'm crying this morning and then the first thing they're going to see me is in a glam chair at Coachella having the the quote best day ever or do what I don't usually love to do which is like post that I'm crying but at least I'm letting people know that I had a shitty morning on top of everything you're going to see which where I come from with real post is important to me because I don't want to be portraying a day or a life that's not accurate. I also think like it's the only way to be completely honest with your followers. So like I get that like setting up a camera is like kind of fucking weird when you're in tears, but like also that's the only way to portray every part of life. And you I know? Would, and I would maybe argue that whether you're an Im- creator or not, like people take Snapchat crying selfies and send it to their friends. They text it to their friends. Like yeah. someone says, how's your day going? And they just snap a picture like not great. And then they have a phone call. I no, I'm sure a lot of people do that. The majority of people do that. So it's almost like if I've or someone's created a community online, like what's the It's so true. What's it's the difference? So true. We only have like five minutes left. Though. Sorry, were we reading a book? We could have just <laughs> <laughs> went on a tangent. We didn't talk about a lot of the like parent child dynamic. I was just about to say. But I'm fine. Like I did not have a lot of notes on that because like one, I don't have kids. I feel like I do have a pretty great you're, you're looking at me with a face of like I'm like I highlighted a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting that you didn't. I highlighted everything. It was more like I I highlighted a lot because I thought it was a great way to go about parenting like I think a lot of parents especially from where we're from impose these insane expectations on their kids and then the kids get so pressure baked that they just explode and overcook and then do nothing with their lives yeah no it's a very realistic and real dynamic that we see a lot yes yeah and I just think like remembering as a parent that you're bringing a life onto this earth to like find themselves not serve your agenda Mm -hmm. like they're not an accessory this is a life and like you can guide them until Mm -hmm. you know what was weird for me though was when he said you are equal to the baby see I love that I I, yeah I I feel like you and your mom like have such a healthy equals relationship and like I think me and my mom do now too but Growing up, the because I told you so, because, you know, it was yeah. just like the unthought through punishments. I was like, there was such a divide because right. like I couldn't understand it. There's I was a like, clear power dynamic. Like yeah. someone's the ruler and someone just has to do what they say. I agree with you. At an age of like eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like you can, you can say you hurt my feelings and I'm upset or I'm sorry I yelled at you. Like yeah. I want to interact with my kid the way that I would interact with a friend and treat them like an equal. Yes. I guess I just meant when the, he was like, you talk to them in these silly voices, but really the baby's equal to you. And I'm, I'm imagining myself in a newborn. Like, hi, I don't How know. How you if, doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever getting to a place in life where like, I think a one-year-old is equal to me. Like, S- see, I, not that I don't think they deserve care, love and like life, but I think, I think the inferior superior thing, like no one's inferior superior. Cause you know, I love babysitting. My friends joke that I raised the entire town of Menlo park <laughs> because I was like 15 with a newborn off my teat and like 
family of four. And like, I remember I would be playing with them and they had such a different way of seeing the world that it's so refreshing and so cool. And they ask so many questions and I learn so much from them. That is so true. And I agree with you. Like I love playing with kids because they're so pure. They're so conscious. Yes. So present. And then it's crazy how we like train it out of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered if you took a baby and we could never do this because of like human rights, but if you took like 10, (laughs) if you took like 10 babies and you like in Eckhart, like raised them in like a simulation of like what the, a new earth would be. And they never labeled things like, I don't know. I'm just curious. They would come back to this earth and like malfunction. Well, I wonder how they'd be at like 20. Totally. Just Truman show them. Exactly. (laughs) Um, We are almost out of time, but two quick things I wanted to talk to you about was 122 when he was kind of talking about like flow state people who are really good at what they do are really present while they do it like nurses athletes doctors and then he says on the bottom of 122 I've also met others who may be technically good at what they do but whose ego constantly sabotages their work and I literally wrote me at USC why my performance anxiety oh my god I feel like I was technically good and I could play great volleyball at a high level and like by my senior year it's like I had done so many physical reps that like I had gotten to a certain level of I can't play that bad technically because of how many reps I've done physically. Yeah. But mentally, I just think of like, you know, nervous. I was going to lose my spot. Always wondering what the coach thought. Like I was paranoid in my mind and I just completely relate to what he's talking about in this whole section of like athletes call it flow state. You know, your flow state is when you are present and you're just doing it and you're not thinking and you're executing. And then when he talked about like when obstacles or difficulties arise in their work, when things don't go according to expectation, when other people or circumstances are not helpful or cooperative, instead of immediately becoming one with the new situation and responding to the requirements of the present moment, they react against the situation and so separate themselves from it. I mean, this whole thing just felt like me, whether that was you know, a switch in the lineup or a switch in what the opposing team was doing and just like fucking malfunctioning with anxiety that like I'm going to fuck up now. Yeah. And not just being like, well, and I'm not giving myself credit. That's me in a nutshell summarizing the negative experiences I have with performance anxiety. Of course, I had moments of like, you know, when they shifted something, what a great challenge. Right. Harnessing myself into the present moment and trying to adapt. But like this to me, like I definitely felt um, really seen by it. Do you ever, obviously I've never, I'm not a D1 athlete. I'm kind of the NARPY party friend, but, um, you know, you, everyone gets in flow state sometimes. Do you ever find yourself <laughs> getting conscious in your flow state and being like, Oh fuck, I'm in flow state. I hope I don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the second I'm like in my flow state, I recognize it. My ego is like, don't mess it up, bitch. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say that because I definitely feel like I think my older brother and I have this similarity where we're like, I, I'm just like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> this is happening. This is happening. And like, I'm like trying not to freak the fuck out. Like, I don't know how people don't do that. Like I get such high highs. <laughs> I love that though. <laughs> the very last thing I want to talk about was the monk with sweaty palms. Okay. Do you remember this? Yeah. I don't have much to say about it, but you go ahead. <laughs> you have so much to say clearly. But I feel bad taking the last, we have the last five minutes and I've taken it with two things that I wanted to talk about. Go for it. No, I said everything I needed to. Are you sure? There's nothing yes. else you have? No, no. Okay. Well, on 94, <laughs> the monk yes. with sweaty palms. Um, I have sweaty palms if anyone's wondering. I thought that this was so interesting. And like I wrote dash public speaking next to it. The way he says that this monk 
was supposed to do this big funeral for a famous nobleman and his palms got sweaty. And in that moment, he was like, I'm not fully enlightened because part of me is nervous about performing in front of these so-called higher people in society. Yeah. And that he left and became a pupil of another master. And then eight years later, came back enlightened. Eight years. But I was just like, wow. Like, it's a short story, but... I think about how we can have a really great conversation and be really confident. But if we did this in front of a live audience, we probably would feel like, oh my God, what's our plan? And like, we got to say things right. It's like, totally. But this is about just um, meeting everyone with the same energy. And it's your energy. And you know what's funny is our first episode or two, I had audience more in mind. Like, yes. not that I was doing anything super differently, but like, that was in my brain. I like kind of forgot that we're recording this right now. Me too. But that's why I think that this, these episodes have gotten so much better. Totally. We've gotten more comfortable. We've just more like, present. we're like letting it rip. Yeah. And that's one of my things I try to work on is how calculated I am. Like try to be with like making sure everything's presented perfectly. And yeah, you know? Yeah. Anyways, we had a lot to say today. So much to say. <laughs> okay, well, oh, you guys, I listen to the audiobook while I read. Is that, that's your dyslexic friend. That's big good. That's big good. <laughs> that is big good. And always remember, big bad make big good. <laughs> Over okay. and out. <laughs> See you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Obs and I are so excited to read the next chapter of A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. We'll be back again next Friday with our recap so you have plenty of time to read if you want to keep up with us. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram at RealPod. So much to say. is a part of the RealPod family so you get everything right there. And you can also follow us individually at Victoria Brown and at Aubrey Gavello. Okay. Thank you. Love you. And we'll see you next week.